the world has this fascinating the experience. We're changing what we look like on the outside, and somehow that makes us a better person. But as we're reading through and working through Ephesians, chapter 2 of Ephesians is really God's extreme makeup. It has nothing to do with our outward whatsoever. It's all about God's master plan for humanity. And for us, really, in the bigger picture of things, to be Christ-like and to have character and personality that reflects the heart of God. And as we look through Ephesians chapter 2 today, it's really God taking us on a panorama of his plan for human history. And it's a, it's a really, it's a before and after, the way Paul works through this chapter. He sort of goes it back into our past and says, you were this and you were that. And we were this and we were that, but God transformed us and did an extreme makeover. And now we're this and this and this and this and this. And he works his way through the chapter. He says, as for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then Paul goes on. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're looking at Ephesians and, and 
throughout Ephesians, there's these two intertwined themes, that God has a plan, a master plan for our lives and for the church and for all those that come to faith. And interwoven into that plan is the power of God to make that plan happen. And last week we looked at, you know, God has a will and a purpose. And if God sets something in motion, it's going to come to pass. There's nothing we can do to stop that. And God grafted us in by his grace to that plan, gave us a choice to believe in the Lordship of Jesus and to exercise faith and to become part of that plan. So everything in the book of Ephesians is really talking about one of those two things, either the plan of God or his power to get that plan fulfilled. And looking at this chapter today through verses 1 to 3, Paul begins by painting this really bleak, stark picture of how depraved and desolate that we were at one stage in our life, you know, without a saving relationship with God. And he sort of, he talks about us being dead. And I shared with you last year about how to understand being a human being that is dead. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're not breathing. It just means you have no, you have no purpose and you have no capacity to do anything that's good and godly. If you have a water bottle that is perished, okay, and you fill it with hot water, what's going to happen? It's going to leak, right? Is it stopped being a water bottle? No. It's still a water bottle, but it's useless. And that's who we were. We were human beings that were useless to God. We had no purpose. We were worthless things to God. We were under God's wrath. We were empty and aimless, even though, isn't this the bizarre thing? If you go out and canvass people in the world today, they would think they have all the purpose and all the value and all the goodness in the world. And yet when God looks at those outside of Christ, they're nothing. They have no value whatsoever. And we used to be like that. We were conformed to the world, blind and deceived. You know, you go and ask people, do you think you're a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. God doesn't think anybody's good. It's the bizarre thing. We were under the mastery of Satan. We were in bondage and we were slaves to sin and we were under God's wrath. An incredibly ugly, sickening portrait of our iniquity, our immorality, how wretched and, you know, we were a disgrace in the eyes of God. But then there's that beautiful little word, but. But God. And then we get the transformation. That was the before. Then we get the you know, extreme makeover. And then we get the after. The intervention of God radically transforms us. We have great love and we're rich in mercy. We become alive with immeasurable value to God. We have a destiny and a purpose. We live with liberty and freedom. We're no longer under the mastery of Satan. We're under the lordship of Jesus. And we, we're now righteous. We have divine value. We're no longer slaves to sin anymore. We're under grace. It's a beautiful portrait of God's redemption and his restoration and, and how he's embedded destiny into us and, and a purpose that God is so proud of us and pleased with us. But the point is God did it. There was nothing we could do. It's a gift from God that we cannot boast and say, yep, I was part of that great plan. No, we weren't. 
And God did the divine transformation. And Paul reminds us very strongly of that. And then when he goes into verse 11 and 12, he does the same thing again. He goes back and he says, remember what you used to be like when you were a Gentile outside of God's plan. You were a foreigner to God. You know, we've lived in a foreign country and there's times when you do feel quite disconnected and and you feel strange, like a stranger in a strange land. You don't understand the language or the customs and you, you feel like there's a dividing wall, there's a barrier. No matter how hard you try to be like those people, you're not. You know, you might dress like them and try to talk like them and eat their food, but but in the end, you're just not one of them. And they know it and you know it, <laughs> but you aren't. You're a foreigner. And in the concept of being in the kingdom of God, we were outside of God's blessing without hope, excluded. We didn't have citizenship. We didn't have any rights. And it was like there was this stigma about us. We were disqualified and deficient and rejected. It's a really ugly portrait of being lost and isolated, no sense of security or belonging. But then Paul goes on and says, but God, but God who is rich in mercy and grace. And and God came and he broke down everything that separated us from him. And he put his arms around us and gave us acceptance and gave us a sense of belonging and put his favour upon us. We were under wrath, now we have peace. We were outside of God's plan and purposes, but now we're accepted. He reconciled us to himself. And we became part of his beautiful family. And now we have security. We have security knowing the hope of Christ is eternity with him, and that we can't be separated. It's a beautiful portrait of approval and belonging. You know, Paul's just trying to explain to us God's master plan across humanity for everyone that's willing to respond. And he uses all these superlative, sort of exuberant words, big flowery words. But the most powerful word in that passage is the word but. But God changes everything, changes the whole dynamic. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain and he said, I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. But Noah found favour in the eyes of God. Adam had no heir. Abram had no heir. Lord, how can I be the father of a great nation? But God intervened. God made a way. Sarah was old and barren. She laughed when she heard that she was going to have a child. She thought it was ridiculous, but God intervened. Joseph was imprisoned. God, you've abandoned me, but no, God showed him great favour. Moses was a murderer and a coward, but God raised him up to be one of the greatest leaders in human history. The Hebrew people were held in captivity, but God heard their cries and sent Moses and intervened. When the The Egyptians and Pharaoh pursued them and they were up against the Red Sea. But God, God intervened and made a way across the Red Sea. He took them into a wilderness where there was no food, there was no water, but God gave them manna fresh every morning. Strike the rock, Moses, and water will flow. But God, we go on. The land of Canaan was full of giants. We can't do this. 
They're so big, we'll never conquer them. But God raised up two men who had eyes of faith and trusted in God. And they went into that land and they conquered it. And they got to a place called Jericho and they looked at the walls and they thought, "Uh uh-uh, that's impenetrable. We'll never get through those walls. We'll get defeated. And God said, no. But God said, walk around seven times and then blow your trumpets and watch what I can do. And God said to Gideon, Gideon, I want you to raise up an army and tear down all the Asherah poles and all the idols in the land. And what did Gideon do? He said, I can't do it, Lord. I'm the weakest man in the weakest tribe in the whole of the nation. And God said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Go in the strength that you have. But God said, you can do it. Goliath was a gigantic warrior. Everyone was fearful of him. But God raised up a little shepherd boy who had courage and trust in God. But God. David was just a humble shepherd boy, but God made him into one of the greatest kings that this world has ever seen, a man with God's own heart. But God. Elijah was outnumbered 450 to 1 on Mount Carmel, totally outnumbered by the prophets of Baal. And he taunted them and said, go get some big buckets of water, let's build an altar and you cover it with water and let's see whose God is the greatest. But God sent fire from heaven. The widow's jar was empty. What happened? But God. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. They thought he was going to get consumed. But God, and we go on, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown thrown into a fiery fiery furnace. That's a tongue twister. Seven times hotter than it normally was. But God stood in the midst of that fire with them and got them out. Unscathed, not even a smell of burn on their bodies. Mary was an insignificant teenager from the bywaters of Jerusalem. And God said, that's my chosen vessel. She's going to be Theotokos, the mother of God. She was insignificant, but God made her great. Joseph was a poor carpenter, no reputation. Why would he be the father with responsibility for raising Jesus? But God knew his heart and God raised him up. And we go on. John the Baptist was an eccentric recluse, lived in the wilderness, you know, camel's hair and ate locusts and honey. Like if he did that these days, we would brand him a nutcase. He'd be in the psych ward. But God said he was the greatest man that ever walked on the face of the planet. God said there's never been anyone else like him. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease so God can increase. But God made a way and rose him up. Matthew was a despised tax collector, hated by his people. I mean, we hate the tax man. But this was a Jewish man taking money off Jewish people. That was even worse. The stigma that that man had over his life was incredible. Yet God, when he looked at him, said, I'm going to make him one of my followers, one of my inmost circle, a man who I will trust the kingdom to. Simon and Andrew were just uneducated fishermen. But God said, come. Follow me. Bartimaeus was blind from birth, but God gave him sight. The woman at the well was immoral, but God said, I forgive you. Don't sin anymore. The demon-possessed caveman was uncontrollable. He even broke the chains when they used to tie him down. But God spoke a word over his life. 
and he became a great evangelist. The leper was incurable, but God. The sea was raging, but God. There was only seven loaves and two fishes, but God. Lazarus was dead and rotting in a tomb, but God. Do you get it? But God. But God. Peter was outrightly denied Christ three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. But God looked him in the face and said, Peter, do you love me? And gave him a second chance when he really didn't deserve it. Not only gave him a second chance, said, Peter, you're the rock on which I will build my church. But God, Saul was the greatest persecutor of the church. He lived his life to kill people, to find the Christians and to torture them and to rip them apart, literally, and to see them suffer and die. But God, God met him on the road and totally transformed his life. You know, mixed marriage was disintegrated. But God, Bob's family was fractured. But God, Mona's debt was crippling. But God, John's bitterness was blazing. But God, Anna's self-esteem was appalling. But God, Barry's shame that he carried was dreadful. But God intervened. God did something to change that. Bill's addictions were crippling, but God gave him victory. Wendy's disease was debilitating, but God gave her strength and courage, gave her understanding. Sid's priorities were totally distorted, but God met him and helped him seek the kingdom of God first. Marty's burden was crushing, but Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Jenny's fear was demoralising, but God taught her to walk in faith, not in fear. David's temper was seething, but God taught him the fruit of the Spirit and made him a gentle man. Gary's betrayal was unforgivable, but God said, the slate is clean. Glenda's anxiety was distressing, but God gave her the spirit of peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Fiona's spirit was totally crushed, but God spoke life into her. Hamish's situation was possible, but God said, there's nothing that's impossible for me if you just have faith. And Kevin's loneliness was overwhelming, but God said, you are accepted in the beloved. You're my son. And we could go on with lists and lists and lists Sorry, Brad, you need to plug that in a minute. We'll go back. But this morning I want you to think about what does God need to do in your life? What's your but God? What is the scenario in your life where you need something like that? That's really what we do when we come into relationship with God, we're really saying, Lord, I know that there's that point in time where you initially transformed me, but the journey goes on. And part of preaching, part of the whole dynamic of coming to God's word is, and, and, and bringing our lives before God is saying that we want to get serious about change where there needs to be change. And we need to be serious about pressing into God 
when we have something that needs to be resolved. I don't know what that is for you today. I don't know what God needs to do in your circumstances. But will you trust him? Will you trust him that he can give you the power to change it? Will you trust him that he'll give you the grace to get through? Will you call on his name? Would you go to God and say, God, I don't know what the solution is, but I know you're the answer somehow. Somehow you can bring change. Somehow you can bring healing. Somehow you can bring a restoration of a relationship. Somehow you can touch my body. But God, please do something. There was a really beautiful picture in that group of songs of a little boy. I can find it. Lord, what do you need to do in me today to turn my life around? We look at scripture, we see that everything that God did, but God, but God, when we cry out to God, when we bring our needs to him, when we take those burdens and those impossible situations and we say, but God, would you do something? Then God will move. I promise you that he won't fail you. And that's the challenge today, not to be hearers of the word, but to respond to God and say, God, here's this situation. I just don't know how it's going to work out. But will you trust him with it today? Would you put that need in his loving arms? and Let him resolve it this morning. Let's sing together. Let's surrender our lives afresh this morning. And if you would like to just come to the front and, and just ask God to intervene somehow, feel free to do that. I know a lot of your lives and I know that there's a lot of struggles. And to be honest, I don't have any answers. All I can do is say, go to God. Go to God and trust him. Just like all those people from scripture that were in incredibly difficult situations, and God never failed them. Jesus will meet you. His grace and his mercy will flow. So let's sing this morning. Let's worship God. Let's bring those burdens. Let's bring those needs to the foot of the cross and let God do what God does best and change.